Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. Okay, so for decades, we have operated in this space where you go to work and you separate your personal and your professional lives, right? You leave your the personal things at home. Well, the summer of 2020 really shifted and changed that for so many of us. Um, with the murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, so many people, because we were living and working at home, we were in the middle of a pandemic. There was no separation. And so showing up at work was very different for so many people. Fast forward to today, and we're still seeing the impacts of social unrest in the workplace. And so today we are going to talk with my guest, Daryl Butler, who is the president of Empowered Inclusion, about this topic and ways that DEI can help organizations start to shift and make some transformation. So, Daryl, welcome to this week's episode. Thank you, Sasha. Great to be here. So for those that may not know who you are, can you give us a little bit of your background and tell us you know, how you got into this work? Absolutely. So I consider myself one of the OGs of DEI, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this work uh, formally for about 25 years. I started out in, in the DEI space when it was just D and I to begin with. So uh, back in the late 90s when I was in big corporate, I was in a big pharmaceutical industry, a big pharmaceutical company, I should say. And spent my last three years there after a couple of roles and responsibilities in sales, sales management, marketing research. Spent my last three years there as the director of work environment, which put me in charge of diversity and work-life efforts for the human health division of Merck, a small company that you may have heard of, uh, which was a sales and marketing division, 80, about 8,500 employees and in a company of about 65,000 employees. So we were kind of, we were kind of pioneering this uh, diversity effort back then in the late 90s. And then at the end of 2000, it was time for me to do what I had always wanted to do, which was to step outside of corporate America and do something. Uh, mm -hmm. So I stepped outside to create uh, this business and this business of my real focus, my initial focus was really around personal organizational transformation through diversity work. I, I shifted that over the years, kind of expanded that, contracted it as well to more of a, a, a focus, uh, at least in, in, in the easier focus on making workplace tension productive through DEI. Now, I do put a twist on DEI that we can talk about as well. Yeah, let's talk about this twist. All right. What, so what our, twist, on there? our twist in empowered inclusion, and the, and the company started off as in, on the title Butler Consulting Group, BC Innovations. Mm -hmm. uh, recent change to that title is, is empowered inclusion. The idea is our DEI consists of diversity, equity, inclusion. That's our D's traditionally thought about. And the E is the E of empowerment. And our mm. I is work-life integration. So the idea there is that if you take diversity, empowerment, and work-life integration, those three components make up the whole person. So as the whole person, 
is showing up into an organization, we are trying to cover that whole person to get to their full potential through leveraging their differences, DEI, creating a space where they are showing up in an empowered way, that's the E, mm-hmm. and providing that opportunity, as you said in the introduction, realization that work and personal life are not separate. And so we're shifting mindsets with the concept of work-life integration instead of work-life balance, work-life separation. I love that. Yes, yes. You know, it's funny because um, one of my mentors in this space, another OG in this space, you know, always talks about, you know, what part of me am I supposed to leave at the door? Like my arm? (laughs) She's like, I just, I can't. Right. Like I, I have to come in as my full self. I don't leave being a mom at the door. I don't leave being, you know, all of whatever titles or roles that she exactly. carries in her life at the door. So hearing you say that, it makes so much sense to me because um, especially now in this post pandemic space where so many organizations are trying to get back to where we were before. Folks aren't leaving themselves at the door anymore there. You know, I have to come in fully and you have to accept me fully. And so what I'm hearing now is this almost a push for organizations to catch up with where people are, how people are showing up now. Yeah. There's a tricky part too, right? Mm -hmm. For, for decades, for generations. And in fact, if you look at, you know, our parents' generation, the idea there was you, you, you don't show up as your full self. You you come in and you assimilate. Yes. And you do what the company wants you to do. And and that's the way that most leaders thought was the right way to do it and all of that. And and I would say Generation X, the generation that, that I represent, we were the first one. We were the ones to really start pushing in the workplace this idea of showing up as full self. Mm. We get the next generations Y and Z that have really pushed to the next level. And interesting enough, Generation X is now, now we're the ones that's in these in these leadership positions. Like, hey, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow your roll. <laughs> yes. that we're the ones that started this madness. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's funny because I, I talk about generational diversity a lot. And again, you know, to your point, Gen X does not necessarily realize how we're truly a sandwich generation, right? We have so many tendencies from baby boomers um, because that's how we were brought into organizations. But there's also so many aha moments of what we're seeing of younger generations that, man, I wish I could have done that when I was your age, you know, kind of thing. Um, We did get accused of doing that when we were their ages. At our generation in our 20s, we were the ones getting accused of what, what's wrong with you all? You all don't want to work. You all don't. You know, it's all the same stuff that now is said about <laughs> like, Y and Z. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. You know, so, you know, I started at the top talking about social unrest kind of being a catalyst for a lot of these things that are taking place. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately, you know, everyone kind of goes back to that summer of 2020 where we were all at home, you know, kind of forced to watch. You could not ignore what was happening. Um, You could not ignore hearing, I cannot breathe. Um, And the impact, the physical, mental, psychological impact that that had on so many people. Um, And then they had to turn the TV screen off to get on a computer screen and act as if nothing was okay. And that wasn't the case. 
And so, you know, again, fast forward, we're now in a time and place where we are seeing this again in so many different ways. Um, talk to me a little bit about kind of what you are seeing right now and how organizations are showing up that may be a little bit different than they did three years ago. One of the challenges that many organizations, leadership and organizations have is that they're trying to figure out how do we how do we respond? And back in 2020, when I was getting all these phone calls from from clients and new clients coming on board, one of the things that I kept pushing leaders to say to, to, to think about was what's going to be kind of your your protocol for how to respond to social situations, because you know, whether it's George Floyd in 2020, uh, Ahmaud Arbery right before George Floyd, the Asian uh, Asian hate crimes mm -hmm. following year. I've told them at any given month, any given week, almost any given day, you'll have at least available to you something to respond to because something back to that idea that we don't leave our personal selves at, at before we walk to the door or into the Zoom space, um, something will be impacting the people of your organization outside of your organization. Yeah. So as, as leaders and organizations, then we, we want to come to a decision of what is our protocol, first of all, because that will help us kind of place some principles on the wall to decide to live by how we're going to respond, if, if we're going to respond at all. So that's yeah. the first thing you got to decide. You know, are we going to respond to situations? One, which situations, which type of situations are we going to respond to? So what's the criteria to determine what we respond to? Mm -hmm. And then how do we respond? Do we respond in ways of, of doing listening sessions? We thought listening sessions were were a great idea back in 2020. Mm. Three years later, we we're now hearing that you know so a lot of those listening sessions were re-traumatization yeah. for 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 folks, especially for Black folks, when we're talking about the, the George Floyd incident incident and and all of the other unrest things around race. So you know if you're going to do listening sessions, identify what your purpose is for listening sessions, right? Uh, because if your listening sessions or mini therapy sessions, most organizations are not set up for that. Um, if your listening sessions are to decide and to help concern determine what are we going to do to continue building the cultural competency of individuals inside of organizations so that we transform that individual cultural competency to an organizational cultural competency back to that mm -hmm. organizational transformation uh, concept. Uh, then we can design the listening sessions in that manner to achieve that objective. Yeah. So that's again piece of of you know what do you what are you trying what what do you want to achieve that becomes the 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 ideas what do you want to achieve in yeah. your response. And it goes beyond you know to your point of it just being a checkbox activity, right? Yep, you check the box on doing a listening session session, yes. even though we're not going to do anything with the information that we're being told. Right. You're now saying, OK, we're doing this with purpose and intention so that we can create a plan moving forward. Um, the other thing that, you, you know, when you said it was. If you're creating these protocols, which events are we going to respond to or not? That right there is going to tell you what your inclusion efforts are like. Right. Because there's so many people that are choosing one side or another. Mm -hmm right? And causing harm in ways that they may not even realize they're causing harm. Like I will admit, I, I did an, an email out um, in a post where my intention was to talk about 
how leaders need to just ask questions at this time. But even in my prep of that, I I kind of left off some information that I got called in for. Right. right? Like, hey, Sasha, been following you for a while. Didn't expect this from you. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. Let me correct this kind of in the moment. And I did it very publicly, so I'm going to correct it very publicly. Um but it's it's one of those things where it's a slippery slope and people are afraid to make mistakes or afraid to be canceled because cancel culture is still kind of a thing that's out there yeah. right now. Um, and so when they are creating these protocols, you know, how do they do so in a way where they give themselves some grace as well? <laughs> In the process. Oh yes. So you know, again, OG in this DEI work <laughs> that no matter what you do in this DEI work, someone will not be happy. Mm-hmm. Someone will be happy. Someone will not be happy. So let's just I lay that out there first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. So that when you do get that call out, like you did, as an example, and like I've gotten called out many times as well. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. And and we, uh, in doing this work, we understand the concept of intent versus impact. Absolutely. And, you know, the ability to show up in ways and realize once your impact has happened, like, okay, let me correct that as best as I can. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's like planning the celebration for the employee population that might involve food or some kind of fun activity. Someone will not be yeah. fed the way they want to be fed. Someone <laughs> yeah. will not have fun the way like that they have the, the way they like to have fun. So the same concept here is if we're responding to a social situation, someone will not like the way that you responded or will not like the way that the CEO responded. Mm-hmm. Given that, it's how do we best spread the net of inclusion in our response? And have I uh, considered at least most of, if not all of the possibilities? Yeah. Realizing that if I take, once I take that middle road, so we could take as an example, the Israel and Hamas war of, of recent. If I, if I take that middle road, someone is not going to be happy that I took that middle road. And even if I, in the middle road, in this case might be the, the road of humanity and and I may focus my my communications around humanity and therefore having a in my communications having really focused on the human side of no matter where you are in this war, there's the human factor. Well, the mere fact that we're talking about war takes out the humanity, right? Because war goes against humanity. And if you look at it in that in that broader context. So now I'm doing this fine balance of talking about humanity and something that is anti-humanity. Yeah. And, you know, and there's also the fine line of. There are good people on both sides, you know, yeah. like, right. and I hate using that phrase, right. but the the gut reaction that so many people had when they heard that yes. um, is what comes up for, for so many people during these times, because they are so strong in their values, beliefs, et cetera, um, their humanity mm-hmm. and, and what they're seeing and the impacts on them. 
Um, and so it's hard to kind of split those hairs. Yes. Um, and as an organization, it's even more difficult to do that. And so where people are being asked to choose a side and asking organizations to choose a side, it's not that simple. No. Um, and so I, I appreciate you kind of laying it out the way that you did, because if you focus on humanity and you focus on that piece of it, um, we are all human. We are all beings. And yes. so honoring that, um, I think, is, is, you know, what is needed kind of, you know, during these times. Yes. So I want to do a little bit of a pivot because <clears throat> not what well, still kind of in the same vein. You know, you talked about protocols and you talked about organizations being very intentional kind of in this space because this is going to happen again. One of the things that I have noticed um, is folks have very bad short term, like long term memory. Right. So they remember it kind of in this moment. And then when the next thing happens, they're like, oh, crap, what do I do? Right. Like it never happened before. Because honestly, I've had that conversation. Like, really? Didn't we just have this? Mm -hmm. Did you not take notes? Right. <laughs> and what was going on? So how do you build that muscle within an organization? Because it's this, not a pretty muscle. Yeah, <laughs> to have to build. You know, this this quite this issue comes up in 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 doing training, right? So, and, mm -hmm. and all the many articles out there about diversity training doesn't work. Well, mm -hmm. not that diversity training doesn't work, it's that we don't put in accountability protocols for sustained behavioral change. And if we really want to talk about behavior change, it gets us back to the conversation of transformation. Transformation does not occur at the behavior modification standpoint. Transformation occurs at the mindset, mindset shift. Mm. So, most of our responses are behavioral responses. Most of our training is is focused on behavior modification. And so that whole idea that 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 challenge you just mentioned of didn't we talk about this already? What that tells me is that transformation has not occurred. Yeah. Because as as one of my mentors in in, in this business uh, taught us very very clearly that. You have this thing called first order change and, and second order change. First order change is behavior modification. Um, second order change is transformation. It's it's shifting the mindset. So if mm -hmm. I shift my mindset as a leader of the organization, or even in, 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 in individual at any individual level of the organization, if I shift my mindset that says, I am doing this thing called diversity, equity, and inclusion work and belonging and whichever additional letters we're going to keep adding. Right. Again, right. It was the D when I started. Right. <laughs> and then it was an E. Right. <laughs> so um, as, as we, you know, whatever additional letters we add, um, the, the, the main idea is what mindset am I going into? So the, the thing called this idea of diversity thinking, and with diversity thinking, one of the things that we get to diversity thinking is it's ever evolving as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if, as an example, 15 years ago, we weren't, this whole concept of pronouns wasn't a thing. 
And so now as we people are putting pronouns into their signatures and an email and LinkedIn and their Zoom, their Zoom name, mm -hmm. someone who has, you know, the, the best of intention on doing the diversity work or supporting diversity, I'll say that in the organization, might also be that person that says, I don't get these pronouns. Yeah. And if you say that in the moment, the the back to the cancel culture that's talked about, someone's gonna say, Oh, I thought you were down with DEI. You're not down with DEI after all. And that individual just might be simply expressing their own internal struggle to get to transformation of understanding mm. the use of pronouns. It doesn't mean they're not down with DEI. Right. Right. It just simply means they're now having to do a mindset shift because the first five years of their DEI work did not involve pronouns. Right. And if, as we truly lead in and lean in with diversity thinking, that shift of when something changes for those of us who have looked, truly embraced the diversity thinking concept, it well, first of all, we'll probably catch ourselves by not saying, I don't understand this pronoun thing. Right. <laughs> and then we we will evolve along with the evolution that's happening. Yeah. That's not to say that we won't also question because we have to put critical thinking into the concept, into the process as well. That part. Yeah. Because yeah, as you were talking, I was like, you know, part of, and again, I've been in this space a long time. Um, is curiosity. Like, how are you leaning into your curiosity? Yes. Because if your question or your statement is, why are we doing this? And that's it. You're not going to do the research <laughs> to understand why this is important, right. right? You're now kind of cutting that curiosity off, but you're not leaning into that diversity mindset that you, you mentioned, because this is ever evolving. It is constantly changing. And so, you know, I, I tell people, that I don't call myself an expert in this space because I am a forever student in this space. Same. I am constantly learning and growing and pushing and challenging myself and asking questions, right? Absolutely. I mean, I will ask Google a question before I ask you know, someone else. I'm like, let me at least That's get right. an understanding, a baseline Google understanding. Google will not embarrass you. <laughs> right. Because woo, mm -mm. had yeah. that happen too many times. But, you know, so I, I'm, I'm loving this, this idea of, you know, first we need to start to shift kind of, you know, how we approach these things, but that transformation piece is that next level. Yes. It, it really is, okay, how do we truly embody the work, um, truly embody this and how we show up as a leader? How are we embodying this as we show up? And again, not separating personal and professional, how are we showing up at home in these ways? Because the, the other thing that I have really taken note of is you can't be a DEI champion at work and not doing anything at home in that space, right? It's, it's like, it's not compartmentalized in right. that way. Yeah. And so it, it's that blending of, okay, so just, just as you can't leave being a mom at the door or a dad at the door when you come to work, your inclusion championness needs to go home with you as well too. 
So, oh, and I think that's part of that transformation. You ain't said nothing but a word now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, and even in, in, in the dating space, right? <laughs> you know, I've had, I've had partners that are like, oh my gosh, you treat me like I'm in one of your classes. <laughs> or, you know, you sound, you, you sound like a consultant at, you know, at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm like, no, I sound like the person who I am at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Uh, so the beauty of, of, you know, of the relationship that I'm in now is that my partner is also a DEI, well, a practitioner. She's an mm -hmm. inside cat. I'm an outside cat. That's what we, how we differ. Okay. So she's, she's inside corporate America, both been in the space between five years. And our challenge is <laughs> to, to not always be on. Turn it off. I was about to say, you turn it, how you turn it off. It's like, let's, let's try to watch this Netflix movie, this Netflix series without analyzing it through a DEI lens. We, we fail most of the time. It's impossible. But I think that that's the beauty of this transformation, right? Like that's the beauty of this because you now can't unsee the things that you were so blinded to before. Right. Um, you can't unsee inequity when it is so a part of who you are. And so same with like the, the very same. I We were watching, I can't remember what movie we were watching. And I was just like, hmm. Like the little head tilt, like, did I just see? Right. And some same thing, my partner's just like, mm, Sasha, just watch the movie. Just, just watch the movie. <laughs> just, watch the movie. Can we just watch the movie? <laughs> so no, I, I appreciate that. So Daryl, you know, tell me. So you've been in this, you've been OG in this for a while. Um, what do you do to take care of yourself? Like, how do you fill your cup as you are going mm. through these transformations? Well, I, I I have the pleasure and the challenge of raising two beautiful daughters. Mm. I have a freshman in college and a freshman in high school right now, and it's you know so all of the things that have come with that, <laughs> all <of the> things <laughs> yeah. that to come as I you know as I like to say four more years. Yes, right, because I will be an empty nester in four years, <laughs> ideally. Somebody's probably going to boomerang home. <laughs> so, but so piece of that is 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 really indulging myself in my daughter's growth and and growth academically, socially, and the like. You know, whether it's going to the the freshman in high schools play um, on Saturday, as an example, or running her around for that matter, or the 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 the, the freshman in college, she came home last week for her birthday. And so, so just indulging in, in that space. I do my, so I'm, I'm going to back this up in, in the work life integration work that we do. Mm -hmm. We look at kind of the, the, the whole self in terms of taking care of personal family work and service. Mm -hmm. So in, in incorporating those four areas, Personal is about, you know, how I show up for my health. I've been plant-based diet for 29 years um, with the idea. People say, why, you know, why, why did you become vegan? Um, for optimal health. Simple as that. That's my, that's my, that's my, my reason, my rationale. I come from the pharmaceutical industry. I'm a bio major. I'm real clear that most of the diseases that we are dealing with in the products that I used to sell <laughs> back in big pharma are associated with what we eat. Mm -hmm. So for me, I decided back in my 20s that I would prepare myself for my 50s. 
now that I'm here, I prepare myself pretty well. Uh, most doctors don't know what to do with me because we're in a sick care system and I show up yeah, with yeah. wellness. Yeah. And so that's a big piece of it is take care of that personal self in, in terms of wealth, uh, in terms of health um, and wealth for that matter. Uh, and then again, family, the, 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 the kids, partnership, mm-hmm. um, extended family, mom, dad, all that. Uh, and, and I don't miss a family. Well, I do miss family reunions. I can't say that. I haven't missed some family reunions. I, my, my family would talk about me because the folks in Toledo, they'll be like, well, you know, you ain't been in Toledo. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I've missed a couple of Toledo reunions. Right. <laughs> uh, and then service. Uh, unserviced. Mm-hmm. One way that I had to balance myself because people were tapping me too much and I was, you know, in the space of not saying no. And then mm-hmm. one year I said, I'm going to adopt the ability to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so service For me, that what works is I choose two service organizations that I'm going to dedicate time to at any given, in any given space. Right? And okay. so if, if I come off of one of those, I replace it with another one. Now I have about five to choose from at any given time, but my focused energy at any given time will be on two of those service organizations. And right okay. now that's my fraternity and my, uh, my undergraduate alma mater. Oh, so the two that I did. Well, not your fraternity, my sorority. But yeah, yeah that's what I do. Undergrad and yeah. sorority. And they take up all my time. Oh. But um, <laughs> so Daryl, you know, if people wanted to connect with you, follow up with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Best way is hit us up on empoweredinclusion.com. And you can also from there find us on Facebook. We're not too active. We're gonna we're getting we're gonna be more active in social media space, but empoweredinclusion.com is, is our is our best space. And I've got a couple of book ideas in my head that I've been toying around with for a couple of years now. One on relationships, one on the things I've learned as a diversity practitioner. Mm. Uh, so the one on relationships is is the one that's halfway written. So look out for a book from me at some point in time. When I decide to get committed to writing the book, <laughs> I talk about that in our empowerment class. <laughs> okay. On it, on it. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. I think that there was so much that people can walk away with um, because it is such a difficult place and space to live and operate. And so, you know, with a few of those nuggets, you know, especially creating that protocol, I think that gives something mm-hmm. people something solid to kind of hold on to. So thank you so much for that. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes. And thank you all for watching this week's or listening in on this week's episode of DEI After Five. You can tune in every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. Find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, share, do all of the things. And until next time, have a good one.